Thank you, Father. We give you praise tonight. In Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. Father, tonight we want to thank you because you have set the table before us. The Bible says in the presence of our enemies, and you have anointed our heads with oil, and our cup runs over. Tonight we believe you've set the tables before us. You've come to bless us. You've come to expound your word in our heart and in our spirit. You've come with your power and with your authority. Tonight, we want to give you glory. And so, Lord, tonight as we've gathered together, we ask for the release of your spirit. We ask for the expansion of your grace in the midst of your people. Let your work come with grace. Let it come with clarity. Let it come with understanding. In the name of Jesus. Lord, at the end of it all, we'll give you all the glory. We bless your name tonight. In Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. Amen. And amen. amen. Tonight, I'd like us to turn our Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. I'm going to read very quickly the first 10 verses of chapter 2 of that book. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. I'm going to read the first 10 verses of that book. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. But I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste? And its gates are born with fire. Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? When will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I sent him a time, verse 7. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. The letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the city of the, of the city which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. 
And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king has sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When the Sambalat the Oronite to bear the Ammonite, official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Tonight, I'm going to be sharing with us on what I call, if we arise, God will perform. If we arise, God will perform. Maybe better said, if we propose, God will perform. This passage of the scripture is not strength to us as a people. We all remember Nehemiah, a Jew, but was in a, in a foreign land, in a strange land. Serving at the king's court. He was there providing services to the king. But part of the requirement is that you cannot afford to serve and at the same time be having an impression on the king and yet you still continue to serve you cannot have your faces or your face being sad before the king. If you're sad before the king, there were repercussions. The repercussions were grave. It was a standard rule. You cannot afford to be sad. Prior to this experience of Nehemiah, we will remember in chapter 1 of the book of Nehemiah, the Nehemiah was an innocent, naive man who was serving diligently before the king until one of his brethren came to him, his name Anani, came to let him know the situation in Israel, the situation at Jerusalem. And because of the information that was passed on to Nehemiah, he lost his peace because he had a passion in his heart to see the glory of God being revealed in the midst of his people. I don't know what the thought is in our own heart as a people. I don't know what the focus of your life is. I don't know what your goal is. I don't know what our objective is as believers. But I'm waiting for a time when the glory of God will break forth in the midst of his people again. I'm waiting for a time when there will be a revival in the midst of his church. I'm waiting for a time when the word of the Lord and the prophecies that we have read about will be fulfilled in our days. I'm waiting for a time when we will see the power and the glory of God being fulfilled in the midst of his people. That's my goal. I'm waiting when God will return the glory again to Jerusalem. This was such a traumatic experience for Nehemiah. He knew the promise of God for his people. He knew the divine plan of God for Jerusalem. He knew the divine plan of God for Israel. He knew the divine plan of God for the people that God has called according to his divine grace. And yet, 
none of those things were being fulfilled. There was a corporate destiny that Israel had as a people. They were a people that God had chosen for a divine reason. And at the time that this man saw, the gates of Jerusalem had been broken down and it's been burnt with fire. It was a sorrowful time for him. How many of us look at the situation of the body of Christ today and we're crying our hearts, oh God, will you do something again? Will you move in our midst again? Will the power of God return again? Will righteousness return to our midst? Will the glory of God return again to our midst? Will integrity return to our midst? It was such a condition, a situation for Nehemiah. He was heartbroken, not for himself, not for his own personal gain, not for his family, immediate family. No, it was practically, pragmatically because of the people. Now, this is a man that I call a kingdom man, a kingdom person. His goal and his objective was not personal, was not for himself. It was for the people that God has called after his name. How oftentimes we see today that our objectives are actually personal and it has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And these are the issues that are affecting how much we actually affect the kingdom. It, 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 it informs how effective we are as believers. Because our goals and our objectives, many of the times, are not kingdom-based. I believe in reaching for the stars, attaining the zenith of God's purpose, and plan for our lives... We need to get familiar or acquaint ourselves with the divine agenda and processes. How many of us believe today that the path to divine accomplishment sometimes may be rough? That's the truth. It might be rough. But there's a divine promise that as many that depend on him, as many that will look up to God, as many that would trust in him, God would take us to beyond. He would take us beyond the opposition and the obstruction and the obstacles that may be placed ahead of us. No wonder the scripture says in the book of Proverbs chapter 4, the path of, a right, of the righteous is like a shining light that shines brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. So God has a perfect day in mind. Scripture says, I know the thought that I think towards you. It is the thought of peace and not of evil, that you may have an expected hand. Another version of the Bible says that you may have a future and a hope. In other words, God is thinking about the future. God is hope-driven for his own people. Now, these are my discoveries in the process of looking at the reasons why it becomes sometimes very difficult for God's people to reach their maximum potential for God. Many of the times, we're so confronted with issues that we refuse to arise. We refuse to propose. Sometimes during this week, I was studying the book of Daniel, and I noticed in verse 8 of chapter 1 of the book of Daniel, the Bible says, and Daniel proposed in his heart. That he will not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. The man decided, proposed in his heart. Now the question most of the time is, uh, we don't have sufficient resolve in our heart. 
It becomes very difficult for God to walk through us when there is no resolve in our hearts. There are certain issues that I'm going to raise tonight. And they are issues that affect all of us, old and young, men and women, the small and the great. There are a few minds that the enemies try to bring our way to hinder each of us from reaching the maximum potential of God for our lives. But I also know if we determine in our highest to propose in our heart tonight, if we decide to arise, God we perform. Each time God's people made up their mind, we we'll believe in your promises. We we'll believe in what you have said. We will go for it. You know what I noticed? They always reach the end of what God has prepared for them. They always do. I noticed that one of the reasons why believers don't reach their maximum potential for God, we don't reach the height and the zenith of what God intends for us, are actually basically in two ways. Some of them are internal issues. Some of them are external issues. And I'm going to look at each of them tonight. Taking a cue from this book of Nehemiah chapter 2. I love verse 10. The last sentence in verse 10 says that a man had come to seek the weapon of the children of Israel. So deliberately, these men you know, were playing antics with Nehemiah. That they would not reach the maximum potential. They would not reach the weapon of the people of Israel. The gates have been broken down. The land has become a shame and a reproach. But what are the minds that the enemy tried to set in our path? To hinder each of us from reaching the height that God has already prepared and planned for us. Number one. One of the major minds that are internal minds are what I call personal struggles. Personal struggles. Sometimes there are certain times we have had victories in the past. We have had tremendous manifestation of the hand of God in our lives. And some of those times of victory, if we're not careful, becomes a place of solace. Meanwhile, God wants us to use the past victories as a benchmark for a new move in the right direction. I want to say it again. God wants us to use the past victories in our lives, past opportunities that God has given to us as what? As a benchmark for a greater place that God is taking us. Every time that God gives us a victory, we must understand the victory and the opportunity that God has given in the past must become a springboard. It must become a beachhead, a place to launch forth. I don't care what God has done in your, in your life in the past, let it be, become your minimum. Because God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what you have seen before. That's why Paul the Apostle said, forgetting those things which are behind, but reaching forth to those things which are ahead of me. Because greater days are the better days of our lives are ahead of us. They are not behind us. I don't know what God has accomplished in your life in the past. How many souls the Lord has led you to bring into the kingdom. God wants to do more through your life. Amen. We cannot afford to rest on our oars. Because God has more in mind to bring through and to bring to pass and to bring to manifestation in your very before. 
Many of us, are, you know, we, we, we see what is happening in our days. If there's any time that God needs men and women who are visionary, who are focused, who are determined, who are diligent, it is now. It is never before. It is now. The odds of hell are standing against the body of Christ every day. And that's what we're seeing in this Nehemiah. That the man, God gave him a vision. He gave him a burden for Israel for the rebuilding of the wall of that land. Yet, the enemy stood against them that the plan and the purpose of God will never be accomplished. Now, I want us to take a, I want us to take a cue. I want us to take a lesson from this experience. That what you see that embodies a nation, the same you see that embodies a whole soul, a life, a destiny, an individual. And I usually say, the enemy has not changed his method. It is the same method that he's been using, that he's still using today. So part of the things that I see, they are personal struggles. Listen, church, there are certain strongholds in our lives, number two. Not just past victories, there are certain past strongholds in our lives. If they are not properly dealt with, the enemy will use it as a point to oppress our lives and will use it to hinder us from moving forward in what God has called us to do. After we gave our lives to Christ, there are certain areas. We, we started teaching this last week on Renew Our Minds. There are certain grounds that are unbroken grounds in our lives. We've been born again, we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. But there are certain unbroken grounds, and God is saying, I want to deal with the unbroken grounds. Such was the experience of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. He had been prophesying, you know, he's been giving prophecy to Judah, to, you know, to, to Israel. But somehow, this man, God had mercy on him. You know one of the things I see? When God begins to point a finger on certain issues in our lives, it is because he loves us. I'm telling you. When a man does not feel a hodge for a change, something is wrong. A believer must constantly feel a hodge, a restlessness for a change. When we become comfortable in a position that we have been before, and there is no surge in our spirit to aspire for something greater, we need to begin to check it. And so there are certain issues. This man, as he began to, I don't know what it was, maybe he was worshiping or spending time with the Lord, and then the Lord visited him. He said, I saw the Lord. In the years that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I am lifted up with his twin feet the temple. I saw the angels of God flying with their feathers. With the two feathers, they covered their faces. With the two feathers, they covered their feet. And with the other two feathers, they were flying. And I saw, and I saw them sing. It's saying, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy is the Lord. He said, when I saw the Lord, I noticed I was a man of unclean lips. A man of unclean lips. This man never saw this before. He had never seen that. And you know what I noticed? It is very difficult to notice and to observe areas of our lives that needs to be broken until we spend time with God. I would not stop to advocate being alone with God. Spending time alone with God does not only increase your spiritual power, it also exposes hidden sicknesses, hidden spiritual sicknesses in our lives. 
Many believers, to be honest with you, are sick. It has nothing to do with title. It has nothing to do with how long I've been in the kingdom. I can be, I can be a man who has been in the kingdom for several years, but I can be spiritually sick. If I don't pay attention to my spiritual life, I'll become spiritually sick and I may not know it. And that's why this man has begun to spend time with God. He began to notice there was something not right with, his, with himself. Number two, I also noticed that the more we draw closer to God, you know what I noticed? The more emptiness we see in ourselves. As we draw to his holiness, as we draw to his glory, the more of God's glory we see, the more of our own failure we see. And you know what it does? It draws us closer to God. And he began to ask God to cleanse him. And that's why I noticed that one of the minds that the enemy had set is that many times believers don't see issues that are internal. Issues that are personal. Issues of past weaknesses of our lives. Before we become believers, there are certain things we were susceptible to. Some of us were, were good liars. We can lie and lie and lie like they call it pathological lies. And there was no problem because lying was a lifestyle. If we're not careful, years after we've come into the kingdom, that pattern of life will begin to come back into our lives. And these are the minds. And you know what it happens? When you live in lies, you lose confidence in the spirit. When you leave and you're not straightened, you lose confidence before God. And this is one of the reasons why the enemy wants to create a stronghold in our lives. There are some of us who had issues with lust. And many times, years after we have become, become a believer, some of those old lifestyles will begin to stage a secret comeback. They crawl back into our lives. That's what the Bible says. When a man falls, you who are standing, be careful. Watch out. Because you do not know when those old lifestyles will begin to stage your comeback into your life. Watch out for those lost. Do we remember the story of Moses? The Bible calls him the meekest man on the earth. We saw at the beginning of this man's life that he had issues with anger. He killed the man and ran away. He became a fugitive. But do we remember after God had dealt with him for 40 years, he was sent back again to be a deliverer for the people of Israel. And they got into the wilderness after many years. It was the same issue. It was the same giant that was lying low. That raised his ugly head. Moses became angry. You stiff-necked people, shall we bring us water out of the rock? And he struck the rock. And God said, that's it. You will not enter into that land. You know, it's so easy to read about such men. This is one of the men that I respect so much. I don't know the degree of his patience to lead millions of people. And these were men and women who were stiff-necked. Some of us cannot live with three people in the house that are disobedient. We will give up. But this man was carrying the burden of millions of people, day and night. And these were not people that were regenerated. These were people who had lived in Egypt. They had a pattern of life of Egypt. Well, of course, we remember some of them. And outside of those millions were another number of people that were called the mixed multitude. Those were the ones that were instigating evil among the people of Israel. They caused a lot of uproar. 
And they would tell Moses went to the, to the mountain to receive commandments from the Lord. Before he came down, they have raised a graven image. That's how terrible the situation was. That's why when we read about what happened to Moses, let's know the level of patience that this man had endured. Some of us are still scratching the surface of that. Thank God for what this man did. I have absolute respect for the grace of God. I have absolute respect for the workings of God in the life of a man. I can imagine without the workings of the grace of God in the life of Moses, he would not have been able to do half of what he did. I believe God allowed this man to spend 40 years in the wilderness to unlearn every year for every year he spent in Egypt. It was 40 years old when they ran away from Egypt. He came back to Egypt when he was 80 years old. So every year that he spent in Egypt, God gave him every one year to unlearn what he has learned. And you know one of the most, the most difficult, not one of, the most difficult lessons to learn in life is to unlearn what you have learned. Hello? The easiest lesson to learn is to learn the things you have never known before, new things. But the ones that is difficult to learn is to unlearn what we have learned. That's why it's more difficult to bend the people who are already settled. They are set in their ways. Struggles. Why is it that we have this struggle? I'm going to let us know today. The stake for our destiny is very high. I'll say it again. The stake for our destiny is very high. And many other times we don't see it. It was recently as I was studying the book of Proverbs, the Bible says that the adulteress hunts for a precious life. The higher the value over your life, the more the enemy will attack you. God has placed so much value and treasure over our lives. That's why daily men of us fight battles, ceaseless battles. You know why? There's a high stake over your destiny. Because when Jesus died, Colossians tells us we've been delivered from the power of darkness and we have been translated. It was a conveyance into the kingdom of light. And so the enemy is angry consistently to militate against the plan and the purposes of God in our lives. Let me go back to the book of Nehemiah tonight. I'll share with us some of the external factors. Some of the external forces that we need to prepare for as we prepare to enter into the divine destiny of God for our lives. Nehemiah chapter 2 from verses 1 to 10, we read of a man who went before the king. Let me quickly give us a background. Like I said, it was against the law for you to be angry or to be sad before the king. But this man could not hide how much weight that this experience had on him. I said to myself when I got to this scripture, maybe this is why Nehemiah was born in the first place and I think I believe it. The reason why Nehemiah was living was for one reason, to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. How many of us notice that there are things you're doing in your life today, but God is using those circumstances to prepare you for the very purpose of God for your life. Don't miss it. I think I was teaching this when I was talking about the gifts of God. Whatever your hands finds to do, do it with your mind because whatever you are doing, it might be a preparatory ground for where God is taking each of us. This man was 
serving at the king's table. He was obedient. He was fervent. He was disciplined. He was consistent. So much so when the king saw him, he said, you've never been like this except you're sick. Something is wrong with you. It's unusual of you to be like this. The king saw him and said, no, this is not right. There is something going on. This is not just that you're sick. It's a matter of the sorrow of the heart. It's a sorrow of the heart. It's a burden of the heart. There is something you're carrying. There is a destiny in you that I've seen. Something inside Nehemiah could not give up. In fact, his life was not as important to him anymore because he has found purpose. Because he knew the implication. The implication was grave. In some instances, if you are sat before the king, you are executed. He knew the implication. But you see, he has found his destiny. Many of us tonight need to believe God. We need to find something to live for. We need to find something. And whatever you find to live for, it's worth dying for. This man saw his life and said, look, the gate in Jerusalem have been broken. That this is why I exist. And it's worth dying for. He went before the king, sad. The king said, something is wrong. And he said, yes, my lord. Something is wrong. I love his languages when he was talking to the king. He knew what it was out for. How will I not be sad? How will I not be sad? That's why, and I believe this, certain school of thought believe that whatever is the passion or the purpose of God in your life is what gives you pain. It's just something you have found in life that gives you pain. You're just constantly looking for a solution for it. You have found something that makes you restless. It's as if if you don't find a solution to it, no other person will do it. Maybe that's what God has called you to do. There's a passion in your heart. There is something that you feel that like you must do to hold on to that situation that it may come as a blessing to the body of Christ and as a blessing to God. Now, what are the major things I've seen as external forces that wanted to stand against the divine plan of God in the life of these men. We observe when we read from verses 1 to 20 in Nehemiah chapter 2, we observe that these men, there were certain men that did not want the welfare of Israel to get better. So when Nehemiah began to seek and began to make plans to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the wars in Jerusalem, the Bible says, and they became disturbed. These men became disturbed. They were disturbed because somebody was about to change the status quo. Somebody was about to take a positive step for a change. How many of us know tonight that the enemy hates change? Particularly positive change in our lives. The devil wants us to remain the way we are. He wants us to remain ineffective, useless, purposeless people. But God has given us grace. We will not all rest on our oars until the divine plan of God for our life is accomplished. How many of us know that the enemy is against excellence? But God wants his people to operate at the highest level of pedestal of success and excellence. It is the divine plan of God for you and me to reach the height that God has designed for us. And how would this happen? Let me quickly go through some of the antics that the enemy tried to play. As I study this scripture, it amazes me 
some of the ploys that the enemy used, and he's still using the same today. Let's take a look at Nehemiah 2, verse 19. Let's see what the scripture says, verse 19. That's number one. Number one, verse 19. Are we there? But when Sambala, the Aaronite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed at us, despised us, and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? I was able to put it down. You know, as I was studying to know what are the basic ways by which the external forces have affected us as a people. Let me say this to us. One of the greatest methods and the key instrument that the enemy uses is voices, words. He uses voices. The enemy brings, one of the major things that the enemy brings is the voice of intimidation. This man, Sambalat and Tobiah, they said, what is this thing that you are doing? You know what they are doing? They were intimidating Nehemiah. What do you think you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? In other words, what do you think you are doing? You better stop what you have started because what you are doing is completely against the divine, against the plan of the king. Meanwhile, they have forgotten that this man received a direct a direct information from the king to go ahead and do what God has called him to do. Intimidation. Many of the times in our lives, the enemy tries to intimidate us. Telling you, what is it that you are doing? And let me say this. You know, I'm so glad tonight that we're here. I don't know what voices you're hearing in your mind and in your ears. What are you doing? How far would this take you? Those are the voices of intimidation. Sometimes some of those voices come to us as a voice in our ears. Sometimes our people coming around us, they are telling us that what you have set out to do, you're unable to do it. I've, how many of us have heard that people tell us that you can't do this? They look at you and they look at your strength and say you're incapable. You're incapable of doing this. You're incapable. You cannot accomplish this. I remember many years a brother told me a story of when he was in it was in, the, in his graduate program. And one of the professors saw him one day and said, ah, you're in the graduate program. You can't do it. You don't have the capacity to do it. You're too weak to do it. You don't have the intellectual capacity to handle it. Ah, the man has already started. He's already in the middle of the walk. And you tell me he does not have the intellectual capacity to do what? To do it. That's a voice of intimidation. And you know, when the enemy intimidates, it brings fear. And fear is a terror. The spirit of fear is a spirit that immobilizes people. The enemy wants his God's people to be immobilized, to become in a to, to, to release this, you know, the, the toxin of incapability into God's people, that they will not have the will, the resolve to go ahead and accomplish the divine purpose of God. Let me also share with us that some time ago I was sharing with a brother and he shared a testimony with me that was very intriguing. He said when they started to raise a work for the building of their home, that everybody thought with what they were handing they would not be able to do it. 
But some are because they were determined they knew what God wanted them to do. They just resolved in their heart, whatever God supplies, that's what we're going to do. And you know what God did? God miraculously made provisions available in spite of the fear and intimidation that came to them. Number two. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Let's take a look at another dimension of external forces. But it so happened when Sambala heard that they were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Everybody, did you, hear? Did you see that? What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stone from the heaps of rubbish? The stones that are burned? And Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, whatever they build, even, even, if even a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. <laughs> Hallelujah. Did we read that? It was a voice of mockery. Hallelujah. How many of us know that mockery has a way of immobilizing you? It has a way of reducing your resolve and your desire to move higher. The Bible says here, they look at them and they said, look what, what you're doing. By the time you finish building this temple, this house, even the foxes will just go over it and demolish it. Terrible. Mockery. And you know what I read? Whatever man does, the Bible says in the book of Job that God does not despise any. God does not despise people. But the voice of mockery. How many people have stopped doing what God has called them to do because of mockery? They told them, oh, is this what you're doing? Ah, people don't do it that way. They heard from God. They knew what God wanted them to do, but mockery. What do you think you're doing? They were despised. They were reproached. There was mockery. They told them, look, you're a laughing stock. Everybody that knows about this. And you know, each time people become a laughing stock, God has a way of bypassing them and creating a miracle for them. How many of us knew that that Abraham was already a laughing stock in the land. The man was called Abraham, which means you know, an exalted father. That was his name. That's the root name. But one day after God spoke to Nehemiah, uh, sorry, to Abraham, his name was changed from, from Abraham to Abraham, which means the father of nations. And you know what it means for a man who never had a child? He was walking past in the neighborhood and they said, Oh, he doesn't bear Abraham anymore. He's not Abraham. They said, <laughs> They would laugh about him because they thought the man was out of his mind. How is it when you are an exalted father, you don't have a child? But we accepted that. But now you call yourself father of nations. How will you become father of nations? You don't even have a single child. How many times we look at our lives and we have little. And we're so discouraged in the little. But you know what? God has a way of bringing a miracle out of nothing. God has a way of creating a place of joy in the midst of nothing. The Bible says they mocked them. But how did Nehemiah respond? This is the way we should respond when the voice of mockery comes to us. I want us to read how Nehemiah responded in verse 4. I'm going to read. Verse 4, the Bible says, Hear, O God, for we are what? Despised. 
turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. The man was so angry. He said, look, they have reproached us so much. Turn their reproach on them. Hallelujah. In verse 6, let's see what it says. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to walk. Hallelujah. For the people had a mind to walk. In spite of the mockery, in spite of the reproach, the people were determined they had to walk. They built it halfway to the height of, you know, beyond the mockery of the people. The people were so, they, they were just determined in their heart. Many of us stopped dreaming. We stopped moving in the direction that God wants us to go because of the mockery of the enemy. Number three, voice of discouragement. This will come. There will be days of discouragement. There will be days as if you cannot move higher, higher, beyond where you are. There will be days when you feel, where well, it's all over for me. I'm discouraged. It's, I'm out. I'm done with this. And you know, when we feel the edge and the hordes of discouragement, we must understand. How many of us notice that most of the time the voice of discouragement comes so subtle? So subtle. So subtle. Sometimes the people that we thought would encourage us became a source of, of discouragement. Our hopes, that's why we should not put our hope and our trust in men. Because if we do, at the time you need men most, that's the time they will fail. At the time when you thought you were going to get the best from them, that's when they will turn their back at you. That's why God never wanted us to depend on man, but on him. You know, when we depend on God, God will make supplies for us. How many of us have found out that many times that the people who God used to bring encouragement to us are not people who are even close to us? God will send men. When we put our trust in him, he will raise men to, to bring encouragement to us. You know, when the, when the, when the voice of discouragement comes, sometimes it attempts to drown. What God has said to us. Whatever God has said to you in your life tonight, I have a word from the Lord for you. Whatever strange voices are coming, tonight we subdue those voices. We receive the voice of God. We receive the resounding voice of God. The voice of encouragement. God never discourages people. You know why? God, the, the Lord said to his people when they were rebuilding, despise not the days of little beginning. Don't despise it. It's a little beginning, but don't despise it. Discouragement will want to come. I was studying the life of Moses recently, and I think I've shared this with us before. In the book of, in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses was introducing Joshua to the people, one of the things that Moses said to the people was encourage him. Above all else, make sure you encourage him. Because when you encourage him, it will go beyond his normal, um, normal, normal natural ability. Encourage him as a way of providing you, you know, providing you an impetus to do what ordinary and naturally you will not do. Encouragement. But the enemy has the way of providing and, and releasing the voice of discouragement. Number, number three. That should be number four now, right? Number four. Chapter six. I'm going to read verses one, two, and four in chapter six. Now it happened when Sambalat, Dobaya, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall 
and there were no bricks left in the wall in it. Though at that time I had nothing hung, I had not hung the door in the gate. Then Sambalat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. They thought to do me harm. Now, I want us to understand this tonight. There are certain invitations that we will receive. We need to be careful. They are voices of compromise. Come together. Let's, let's have an agreement together. But you see, the intent and the purpose is to do evil. The Bible says, they thought I was going to come to the valley of Honor. You know why? They said, we're going to agree together. We're going to help you. They knew the wall had been built. It just remained to fix the door. Let me say this to you tonight. Don't abandon your primary assignment to hang around people that do not have a primary objective to see you grow. Now, these people, they were obvious enemies from the beginning. But they said, now that we know we couldn't conquer him, let's make it, let's, let's, let's entice him. Let's make him compromise his stand. And Nehemiah said, now, I will not compromise. Let's read the response of Nehemiah to this. Voice of compromise. What was Nehemiah's response? Verse 3. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work. Hallelujah. <laughs> How many of us believe we are doing a great work? Oh, I'm, I'm busy. I'm doing a great work. I'm, I'm so tired doing great work here. I'm doing a great work. It says, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease? While I leave it and, come and go down to you. I am not going down. I'm coming up. The work must continue. This is one of the things the Lord wants us to do. While we are receiving invitations to abandon what God has called us to do, let's stick to it. You know when it appears nothing is working, keep doing it. There is something about persistence. There is something about focus. This man was a focused man. The external forces were coming to distract him, to cause him to lose focus. He said, no. We are busy doing the great work. We will not abandon or cease this work to begin to find another alliance with you. We will remain focused. We will remain where God has called us to do. You know what? God has given you an assignment. Don't abandon what God has called you to do. There will be voices of compromise. Remain where God has called you. And it will cause what he has given to you to be fruitful. Number five. Let's read verses 10, 12, and 13 of the same chapter 6. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehitabah, who was a secret informer, and he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the door of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night, they will come to kill you. <laughs> and I said, should such a man as I, as I flee. Church, did you read that? Should such a man as I flee. And we is there, such as I, who will go into the temple to save his life. I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all. But that he pronounced this prophecy against me. Because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. 
I want us to be very sensitive tonight. Do we see this? When they tried every antique and the scheme, they tried and deployed to destroy this man. They couldn't get it done physically. You know what they do? They sweet to spiritual method. They hired a man with sorcery. A man with a strange influence. And he said, listen, let's go into the temple of God. You know, there are so many places. The enemy is so clever. That's what the Bible wants us. It says, even the, even the devil will appear as an angel of light. They came, the man came and said, oh, you know what, Mehita, let's go into the temple of God. That sounds innocent, right? It sounds wonderful. Let's go into the temple and let's hide from them. I love Nehemiah. May I say to us tonight, know the God whom you serve. Oh, know the God whom you serve. You know, know the God. We're sharing somewhere yesterday and I said, listen, we have, we've been running away from, from evil forces. Let's stand before God. The Bible says, haven't done all to stand. When in our lives are we going to stand for something? When in our lives are we going to stand for the grace of God? When in our lives are we going to stand for the power of God? Let's stand for something. This man, shall a man like me flee? I love Paul the Apostle. You know the way he said it? He said, I know whom I believe. I know whom I believe. I know whom I believe. We must get to a level in our spiritual walk with God. When you know beyond every shadow of doubt, you boom, whom you believe. You must know him. You must stand by him. He said, we cannot flee. We cannot run away. Because you know why? If he ran, he will have run into the hands of the enemy. He said, and I perceived. May the Lord release into us today spiritual gifts. The high sense of spiritual perception. You know, there are many things we have accepted, but they are not of God. There are many things we have allowed into our lives. They look spiritual. They were quoted outside as if being spiritual, but they are not of God. The Bible says, and I perceived. May the Lord give you a great sense of perception. May the Lord endow each of us with the gift of, of, you know, of perception. We can perceive things in the spirit. Believers, we cannot afford to live ordinary. We must have a high sense of spiritual things. This man knew. He said, I knew. I sensed. God has not sent him. I don't know who is speaking into your life today. Be careful the voices that are coming into your life today. Are they voices of God or the voices of the enemy? There are those who come with prophecies and they tell us things that God has not sent them to do. We must perceive things in the spirit. Not everything that sounds good comes from God. Now, it has to be perceived. Your spirit must agree. The Bible says as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the children of God. Hallelujah. Antics. Ploys of the enemy. But you know what I see tonight? As soon as Nehemiah stood... God performed. God gave him gifts. God gave him favor. God gave him divine endowment. God gave him people that will walk with him. I don't know what God has called you to do. God will give you man. When we arise, God will give you favor. I don't know what God is calling you to do. It might be in an unlikely places, but God will give you favor. God will send men to you, and they will be ready to walk with you. The Bible says this man, he knew what God has called him to do, and God sent him man. Give him grace. You know what? For the mere fact that you have heard from God does not mean that the enemy will not come. In fact, what I know is that when you begin to walk in obedience, the enemy will raise his ugly head. It was because of this man's obedience. Three people rose up 
and they made up their mind, we will make sure. There were enemies that didn't stop pursuing him. They continued persistently, even after the temple was busy, we will not stop. But God is faithful. How I pray today that we will draw closer to God. That we will reach our maximum in God. That we will reach him for the stars. That in our family lives we will reach our destiny. That the Lord will send us to nations of the world to fulfill his counsel and his purpose for our lives. Let's rise up to pray tonight. If we arise, if we propose, God will perform. We're going to pray tonight. And my prayer is going to come from the life of Daniel. I was studying the book of Daniel chapter 1. You know what I noticed? The Bible said because Daniel proposed it in heart. The Bible said, and God gave him favor before the eunuchs. And he told the eunuchs, give me 10 days. Give me vegetables and give me water. The Bible said after the 10 days, they came back. They were fatter and fresher than all other men. And the man said, if this works for you, go ahead. Because they proposed in their heart, four of them, God performed. God changed the works of nature. I remember the book of Matthew chapter 7. Who can add to the cubit of his life? Do you know even the way our body is structured? God can begin to turn things around. That's why I believe today there is a divine hand that can come upon us. God has a control over the three levels of our beings. God is the author of your spirit. He wants to make sure your spirit is, is well, at peace. God wants to make sure that in emotionally we are stable. And God wants to make sure that physically we are able. Emotionally stable, physically able, spiritually strong. Hallelujah to Jesus. Can we begin to speak to the Lord and just bless him? And just give him glory and honor tonight. And lift up his name for the privileges given to us to be in his presence. I want us to lift up his name because if we arise, if we propose, God will perform. Let's begin to give thanks to God for tonight and bless his name. Let's magnify him. Let's adore him tonight. Let's worship him tonight. Let's glorify him. Let's worship him and adore him tonight. Let's honor him and glorify him. Hallelujah to you, Jesus. Hallelujah to you, Jesus. In Jesus' precious name we pray. We're going to pray tonight. There are many of us who are standing tonight. God gave you a dream. But the enemy began to speak into our lives. He began to give us voice. There were voices of discouragement. Voices of intimidation. Of mockery. Mocked us. What kind of a house are you building? The foxes will run over it and they will destroy it. Many of us are reproached. Many of us have been told you can never accomplish much. God is saying, with me, you can leap over the wall. With, with me, you can walk through the troops. With me, you can go beyond every limitation that the enemy may want to send around your life. I want us to begin to pray tonight and say, Lord, I look up to you, oh God, tonight. I receive grace from you. That every dream that you have given to me, that every word that you have given to me, Lord, I receive grace to begin. I receive grace to start. I receive grace to launch forth. I receive grace to, to, to launch into the, into the unknown. I receive grace to step forward. In the name of Jesus. Some of us, God has spoken to us about businesses. 
who were looking at the voices of discouragement, voices of mockery. The enemy said, you will never amount to much. But the enemy is a liar tonight. I wanted to declare tonight, the enemy is a liar over my life. Devil, you're a liar. Let God be true. In the name of Jesus. You're a liar, devil. You're a liar, God is true. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you glory and honor tonight. In Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. In Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. Father, we thank you tonight. Lord, we give you glory tonight. Lord, we worship and adore you. You are able to do exceedingly abundantly far beyond what we can ask or think. We want to thank you for your grace. Lord, we started a journey of our lives open and trusting that you'll bring us to the destination that you have desired for us. But as we progress, we began to notice minds that the enemy has set in place. Some of our personal struggles. Some of the anger and the lust in us. Lord, we place our hearts tonight upon the altar of God. That you will win our hearts, oh God. That you will win our hearts, oh God. Lord, we turn the battle against the forces of hell. We turn the battle against the satanic forces that are against us. The voices of mockery. The voices of discouragement. The voices of compromise. The voices of intimidation. The enemy had said that we will not reach the maximum potential of God. Tonight we receive the power of God. Tonight we receive the power of God. Tonight we receive the power of God. We will accomplish your divine purpose for our lives. We will accomplish your divine program for us. We will accomplish your divine goal for us. We will reach our maximum potential for you. In the name of Jesus, every antic, every ploy, Lord, every walk of compromise set in place by the enemy will not hold sway over our lives. We shall reach our goal. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, tonight. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And amen. Let's clap our hands together for the Lord tonight and bless blessing.